2: Kylie Olsen and Music and Me is about the way songs impact our lives from the records our parents played to the first single we bought and even the one we want played at a funeral. I've been meeting some incredible people from the world of music to find out what songs shape their lives and careers. This month I'm chatting with Rich Robinson. We have an open and frank conversation about his fallout with his brother and former bandmate of the Black Crow's Chris and his incredible new group, The Magpie Salute. So, Rich, um, thank you for chatting to me for music and me. It's good to to finally meet you. I feel I, I can't believe our paths haven't crossed before.
3: Exactly, it's yeah. been a it's been a long time.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, So I always start the show um, with um, a question, uh, which is basically, if a song was to come onto the radio now that would remind you of being at home as a kid, something that maybe your parents always listened to, what would that song be?
3: I mean, I guess I would say, uh, you know, Carry On, that Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, we used to, some of my earliest memories of listening to music was that song. In particular, my dad loved it, so...
2: It's not, no, be, it's not bad, is it, to start it's there? Not really, not
3: a bad song. Not a bad song.
2: No. Uh, and do you still listen to them?
3: Yeah, and, st- and you know, Stephen Stills and Manassas and all of his sort of solo records and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young mm-hmm. and Neil Young. I mean, the whole just kind of. I think it laid a blueprint for you know the sort of more organic view of music that I've always involved myself in. You know.
1: Carry on, love.
2: Was there always music around the house when you were growing up as a kid? Are, you, are your parents musicians?
3: My dad was a musician. He had like a top 40 hit in the 50s. And, and yeah, so he was a musician.
2: Yeah. And then what about your mom? Was she music musical
3: at all? She knew a lot of the, she came from Nashville. My dad was from Atlanta, but my mom, just by proxy of where she came from, knew a lot of the old folk songs, you know? Yeah. They came down through the appalachian mountains and shifted as they came into america from yeah, england yeah. and ireland
2: so can you remember the the artist that made you pick up the guitar that made you go okay this is for me
3: it was more like as a as a kid i was like 11 or 12 and i saw we st- somehow i was at a record store or something and i remember seeing if you want blood you got it which was an acdc record and it had everything that i guess a 12 year old boy would like think is cool you know guitars you know stuck in angus with a lot of blood and stuff but ultimately the sound that was coming off of that, you know coming off of that record was astonishing it was so intense but really cool and it just that kind of thing made me wanted to start playing guitar you know
2: That's interesting because that's uh, yeah, that's like a proper rock sound, isn't yeah. it? And then you've got this with what you did with the Black Crows and what you're doing now with um, Magpie Salute. It's very, it's much more in the cu- I suppose it's country rock, isn't it? If you want to pigeon, if you want to tra- try and pigeonhole it, which I don't think we should always do, but if we have to.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I just think of it as music. I mean, you know, things like you know Led Zeppelin three or you know Crosby, Seals and Ash and Young or Bob Dylan when he went electric. I mean, all of that is. Um, you know it's such a broad palette that we cho- that we pull from you know so if you look at you know what I look at rock and roll music as which is what, what I play you know it was Joni Mitchell to Neil Diamond to the Rolling Stones to Zeppelin to the Beatles to Sly and the Family Stone to you know uh, anyone in between you know and all the influences that they pulled from coming from that American music and where it kind of met sort of the English folk sort of songs that came down. You know, you have African influence, you have all these things, and then that is what sort of created this modern platform that we all exist from. Although I think most modern music is, today has really drifted away from that. Um, But it just covers a lot of ground. It's such a broad sort of spectrum of music. And that's kind of how it should be. I do think we tend to over force ourselves to categorize, it because it really comes just down to selling, you know what I mean? It's sort of creating like a toaster oven, you know what I mean? This one's a vacuum cleaner, this, this genre is a toaster oven, and this one is this, instead of looking at the overall sort of music and what it means on a bigger scale, instead of worrying about making it some sort of product, you know? Yeah.
2: So do you feel like that's kind of where you are now, that you're sort of able to just... Or do you feel like you've always had that? You know, you've always been able to do just what you want to do, or you you've, have you felt the pressures of, OK, we've got to make a hit record? Do you feel like now that you can kind of, Especially because the record label, you're on Mascot, which is a good label for... They, they sort of let bands do their own thing. So do you feel more that you can just do your own thing, or did you always feel like that?
3: So I always feel like we were able to do that. And, I mean, the Crows never... The Black Crows never tried to force... I mean, we never tried to write a hit. We didn't know how to write a hit. They just kind of came. You know, I mean, we were making incredibly unfashionable music when we made our first record and I was 19. And so we just got together, made this record and that was cool and it was, you know, sold seven million albums and it it was a big deal. And the way I see it is when we were signed, no one really cared enough to tell us what to do. And then after the first record, we were sold so many records no one could tell us what to do. So we literally... Just we, you know, I th- just did what we wanted, you know. We after Shake Your Money Maker, we went in to make Southern Harmony, and my brother and I wrote the record in two days, and we recorded it in eight days. That's and
2: insane.
3: but people at a label would be like, "I think you need to rethink this," you know. But that was like we just got off twenty-two months of touring, three hundred and fifty shows. We are now a band. We know we have life experience. We have these songs that have been begging to get out and we're just ready we're gonna go do it not overthink it you know yeah at the end of shake your moneymaker i remember is when nirvana came out for the first time yeah so it was it was kind of like and i remember people at our label because we were on geffen to start and people at the label are like oh we signed some bad you know some band we kicked them down to dgc they're some punk rock band no one really cares and you know and it was like it was nirvana and the record came out and it was, you know, it's one of those things which typically happens is it catches everyone off guard. I mean, you know, bankers run labels and ran labels back then because it was there was a ton of money and the yeah. t- amount of people that it attracted and the type of people that attracted sort of created this extreme hub- hubris and ego from the people at the label. And a lot of times these bands are just out there doing what they mm-hmm. do. And so something that comes absolutely unexpected, I mean, as unlikely as we were to put out a record in the midst of like hair metal, you know, when we were just writing this sort of rock and roll music that we loved, Nirvana was the same, you know, kind of they put their record out and bands like Poison and all these bands were huge at the time, you know, and Nirvana, and so I think the sort of juxtaposition of those two things really kind of shifted, music made people look at him like, yeah, I kind of don't want to listen to this anymore. I want to see... Because, you know, the thing about sort of grunge music and our music, the only difference is we wore bell-bottoms. Everyone else wore. You know, everyone else kind of wore, you know, their flannels. But they were all pulling from their, you know, idols and stuff. So Soundgarden yeah. was trying to make Black Sabbath records. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nirvana was making this beautiful punk pop music that was, you know, for us coming up... You know, we were huge Replacements fans, and the Replacements were a band in America that wrote kind of the on the forefront of writing these, these pop melodies over this punk rock kind of music. So it was pretty cool.
2: So what did you think of Nirvana when you first heard
3: it? I thought the record was great. I thought it was brilliant, yeah. It did.
2: That's funny, isn't it? Like, you were around at the same time, but like you say, completely different. Yeah, exactly. But you were both a curveball.
3: We were both a curveball, yeah. So it just means that, you know, no matter how much marketing you can do and no matter how many like times you sit and try to have some sort of market research and ask people what they think they don't know what they like mm-hmm. until it's kind of given to them you know yeah and so the and and I think that they're a lot smarter than most people give them credit for yeah, and so there's been a cynical push in the world of music to just dumb it down you know producers tell you that labels tell you that dumb it down dumb it down just dumb it down people are stupid they don't like this kind of music they and that's just not true Mm. because the things that catch off guard that are sort of sincere and authentic are what actually catch on and make people wake up and kind of go oh yeah I like that and I like that because of the feeling that it Mm. ignites in me and I can sort of connect with that piece of music you know.
2: So what was it like growing up then because like you say you were you were touring loads and then you you know the album came out and stuff and you were ready just to make another album because you were tight yeah. and you had the songs. I mean, but obviously, you know, you're in a band with your brother. So obviously, you had, were you playing loads as kids? Or was it like lots no, of, no, what, what, how did it work?
3: It was just, you know, we immediately started writing songs because we weren't very good, you know. I mean, I didn't start playing guitar till I was like 15.
2: Yeah, that's really late, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, late. But were you doing anything before that?
3: no. <laughs> No, my dad had a couple of guitars and we would bang around, but he didn't like it because they were too nice, you know. So, and he and he had his guitars, you know. So when we were f- maybe it was fourteen, right before I turned fifteen, for Christmas he bought my brother and I some instruments, and we're like, all right, leave my stuff alone. Yeah. You can play these, you know, figure it out. And we were kind of in our punk rock phase at the time. We were way into bands like the Dead Kennedys and X and the Cramps and those kinds of bands, which I think just part of a musical journey that every maybe most people go through you know Mm. but it's about six months short-lived you know there's about that's about all we could get out of that you know and then this band from georgia came and it was called rem and we had never really liked southern rock music it wasn't our thing we didn't listen to skinner we didn't listen to those bands but rem spoke to us in in the sense of what, like they represented something from the South that was never represented before. I mean, it was artistic, it was lush, it was beautiful.
2: that you were going to do it professionally you know you could you could be a musician do you feel like it just happened
3: yeah there was no planning never a plan just kind of was like oh let's do a band let's do this let's figure this out and, you know there was no you know no it would have been cool to be in a band but we never really thought about it we just kind of did it
2: mm-hmm. you know and uh, you mentioned earlier touring um Is it true that when you first went on tour, you toured with Aerosmith and then you went on tour with ZZ Top, but you got sacked, you got kicked off for bad behavior? Is that true?
3: Well, we toured, we did a couple of tours with a small band in the States, opening in clubs. And then there was another band that was kind of like this heavy metal band that we toured with. And then we got this arena tour, which was opening for Aerosmith. It was great. We went out for six weeks and it was a huge eye opener. We learned a tonne. And then we toured with Heart.
2: Oh, great! Then, I love Heart. Yeah. They're a brilliant band.
3: Then we toured with Robert Plant, and then, uh, then by that time we had gotten to this place where we did a whole headline tour, and then in in like between March and December we'd sold a million albums that first year of just touring and with all the, and then by from December to January it popped up to three million. I mean, we just started selling a ton of records, and like it had kind of caught this wave but we were opening for ZZ Top um, because we had booked it you know months before all this was happening and so yeah we were supposed to do a couple of legs with ZZ Top and you know my brother was running his mouth about corporate sponsorship and ZZ Top was sponsored by Miller Lite and my brother was saying some you know he was disillusioned you know what I mean you go around you see these bands and they're selling 20,000 tickets a night and there's And there's just a greed element to that. And it just was like, why do you need this extra kind of cash? You know what I mean? Like, just to sort of sell yourself out. And Chris was an idealist. And so he just let it known that he kind of thought it was bullshit. And they weren't happy about it. And they kept trying to tell us to be quiet. And, uh, and Chris, we didn't. You know, we weren't. We're just like, I just kind of think this is bullshit. You know? And so... Rather you... Like it or not Or believe You know whatever That's that's how he felt He wanted to be So actually When we got to Atlanta You know Because we were playing Two or three nights At this place called The Omni in Atlanta With the ZZ Top The first night um, Rolling Stone Flew down to do Like the first Major feature of us And that was the night We got kicked off And uh, so it, it got bumped to a cover So we were on the cover of Rolling Stone Because it was huge news I mean the next day it was on the c- front cover Of the Atlanta Journal Constitution and it spread pretty quickly and so yeah that's what happened but we were okay
2: you were okay and <laughs> part of, you know and that's kind of like being a proper rock and roll band isn't yeah, it
3: absolutely well I think that's ultimately what we saw you know we were just like it's just becoming corporate and it's hmm. just this coming this sort of chipper you know it's just there doesn't have to necessarily be rules or the way things are done things can be done in a lot of different ways and you know look people have to be able to live by the choices they choose to live by Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and and we let we live by our choice and ZZ Top lives by their choice and that and you know that's cool that's fine that's who you are I mean now that we're older we're just kind of like you know look they were doing what they do but it was really up to us to choose whether we wanted to be a part of that or not Mm -hmm. but we were kind of too young not to see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we took a stand.
2: A good stand. And what was it like touring with Robert Plant? I mean, because yeah. I'm assuming you're a big Zeppelin fan. Yeah,
3: we were big fans and Robert couldn't have been cooler. Yeah. Yeah, we used to kid, I used to kid around with him. I'm like, my hair is better than yours, man. And he was like, I've got a plane. <laughs> and so, <laughs>
2: enough said. Yeah, so he
3: he would come on stage and we, and jam with us at soundcheck, and he'd want to play Neil Young songs. and And I remember one time I walked off stage just because I was like, you know, like it wasn't going anywhere, and I was like, all right, well I'm done. You know, kind of walked off. And he kiddingly, but he came up, was like, you told Chris, you tell your brother never to walk off my stage again. <laughs> And he would come in our dressing room and take a lamp and smash it and run out and be like, you broke the lamp. You know. Oh it kind of,
4: my God, he was really cool.
3: Yeah, it was very fun. Really cool.
4: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you.
2: So you, you, you've you been in lots of, you know, various bands, um, Black Crows, obviously, um, Hookah Brown. What, they, what the, Where does that name come from?
3: We were just, you know, actually John Hogg, the singer of the Magpie Salute, and I, when the band, when the Crows first split up in 01, uh, you know, I was just put, I just wanted to put together a band and I'd met John. John was in a band called Moke that had opened for the Crows in '90. Yeah eight or 99 or something and so when the band split up i loved john's voice and i, I liked the way he wrote and so i just called him up i'm like do you want to start this band and just see what happens and so he came out and it was cool and we lo- you know really liked each other it was yeah. great so we were trying to think of things to name it and john was really into buka white and i remember going to my friend's restaurant in the village in new york and walk by a hookah bar and i'm like what about hookah something you know buka hookah hookah brown you know just thought it was something cool and we yeah. did it and it was it was cool but it i think everyone's expectations around the black crows thing kind of ruined it you know um everyone in the band you know hired people i'd never played with before didn't know very well and it just kind of sunk into this zone but it tends to happen the crows are kind of like a tornado you know yeah just that whole thing i mean there's so many people that come in and get spit out and it's pretty negative and dramatic and all of these the elements and so
2: do you you need an element of that to make great songs though
3: i don't think so
2: now that you've come out the other side of it and now you're in magpie salute and you seem like you're very happy as a band and you know do you do you feel like oh actually you don't need that (laughs) it's quite nice not having all the drama
3: it's nice not having drama although there's always drama and and there's that's still in me in a sense like i experienced that for a long time
2: are you still a bit of a drama queen no 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 (laughs) not
3: not me but i mean like you know i believe that creation comes from your life you know what i mean like you write these songs it's based on your life experience it's based on music and film and tv and divorce and love and loss and kids and i mean everything yeah. life and so i believe it kind of creates this like you know what i call like a stained glass kind of prism that all of your it's a filter that all of your creation comes through hmm. and so that the the pain of that band that was around that band and the and the misery of it i think came you know will always be there but it more is like a life experience. So yeah. I'll always bring that to sort of how I write. There's always a melancholy element. I mean, it sucks not to have a relationship with your brother, but it's also sucks that the relationship is so wrought with toxicity and, and negativity. So it's just kind of a bummer, mm, you know, but, but this band is really cool. And we're pretty vigilant about not going down that road and not falling into those traps. I don't want to sit in the back lounge and like bitch about everyone and, just be immature jackasses like yeah. most bands are. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. like fuck that guy when he played that solo. He's a dick, you know. Whatever it may be, we don't do that anymore. We all, like me and Mark and Sven, all experienced that in the Black Crows, hmm. and we are pretty sensitive, highly sensitive about not going yeah. down that road.
2: That's fair enough. I can understand that completely. So, do you think that you'll ever be able to sort of build a bridge with your brother again and maybe go down the Black Crows route?
3: I don't think so. I mean, I think it's it's just one of those things. It's just too too volatile, you know, and it's. Um,
2: were you always like that as kids as well?
3: No, I mean, I, I kind of consider our family. Re- we were really close family. It was just four of us. It was me and my brother, and my parents, and so it wasn't. You know, we fought like brothers did, but it yeah. wasn't like some absurd thing. It was just was what it was sometimes we were smart asses to each other sometimes we fought but it was never like that you know as as sort of fame and power and money and you know all that horseshit that gets involved makes it, just, it makes it complicates everything mm. really a lot you know yeah and if you don't deal with your idiosyncrasies and your insecurities that can really kind of take you over yeah. and then you can be a gigantic asshole
2: yeah yeah. my well, man I hope you can sort it out because it is horrible like you say when you've you know you don't talk to your brother that's yeah, yeah. or a family member that's that's tough it's tough yeah. for everyone yeah, parents exactly. and everything yeah, you know definitely. but um, Magpie Salute I mean do you feel like this is it this is your little baby now and, and you're in a really good place musically
3: yeah absolutely I mean the reason I put it together was because I was thinking about as I get older, you know, it's kinda cool to make solo records, you know, because it's like I kinda liken it to finger painting, you know what I mean? I just get to get in there and do whatever I want. Mm. It's cool. It's like, you know, no one's gonna tell me you know, not that anyone ever did, but it's like, man, we could try everything and it's cool. But it's just you in a studio. Yeah. You know? And so I was thinking about sort of like band dynamics and dynamics of being a human and as we get older and the things we have to deal with as we get older as people, you know. And then really trying to be grateful for the things that ha- that have happened. I mean, there's been some astonishing things that have happened in the Black Cross, touring with the Rolling Stones and having Jimmy Page be in our band for a year. And, you know, Bob Dylan knows my name and told me I wrote a beautiful song. You know what yeah. I mean? Like these things that... In a million years, I could never imagine, yeah. you know. And so I was—I'm looking, you know. I, I looked at it. I was like, well, you know, look at these amazing things, you know, things mm. touring with Neil Young and you know, and all of my favorite heroes. And you know, how does that? What you know, what does that? How does that play into sort of my life experience? And. Uh, It it made me have a tremendous appreciation for the people that I have these amazing sort of musical relationships with, people that, you know, when they come in the room with me and I can write whatever I write, which is pretty unconventional. It's the way that I write music. I play in multiple tunings and different time signatures and these kinds of things, and there's a lot of subtlety to it. And it's just how I've always written, and it's natural to me. And to have these people that I don't have to... I can just play something they just jump in and what they play is perfect and you know what a cool gift i mean what an Mm -hmm. amazing thing to be able to deal with you know yeah i had it with my brother and but you know mark ford eddie harsh from the crows i had that and then also my guys from my solo band my drummer joe magistro and john hogg and these people i was like wow this is amazing so uh, as i was thinking about that i read the show came up and it was three days in one place in woodstock new york and like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to reach out to Mark Ford and, you know, see if he comes in hmm. and see what happens. And he was just like, I'll be there. I don't care what it is. And I hadn't spoken to him in 10 years. And so I decided to reach out to Eddie Harsh and Ed was like, I'll be there. And I was like, OK, cool. And what I liked about it was the inclusion of these two guys in this context of my life being brought into this other context. You know, like I'm playing with my solo band and these solo songs and what, you know. So we recorded these three shows and it was you know the minute Mark Ford and I started playing, it was just that thing mm. that you don't I can't put a finger on. I don't understand why, but that's how it was, and Ed yeah. was the same way and so Eddie came up to me and said, "You know we should put this together and just do it you know and I was like, yeah, that that would be cool and so I left and finished my solo tour. I mean I was on tour, I did these three shows, and then just continued and I was like, "What would we call it? What would we do? How would we do this? This could be kind of fun mm. and so kind of came up with all the stuff came up with all the people and then said well let's just put a show up and see what happens and then that sold out in 20 minutes and then the other three shows sold out and it was like okay cool so there's interest you know and then eddie passed away two weeks after that you know he died he overdosed and you know the whole thing was like i'm clean man i'm coming down and i'm gonna be there with you and 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 you know, Mark's on is like, I don't think he's clean and then he went home and was so excited and we were you know, we were getting him his visa to come to the States and you know, he was really like every day on the phone working, but he was still using and he got a hold of some bad stuff and he, you know, he passed away and that was kind really a shock. But it was you know, it was sad and and shocking and just like, God man. But his excitement about the whole thing really did, you know, kind of was the catalyst for everything. You know, he's like, yeah, let's do this. And, you know, so we definitely continued. And that's it just kind of grew from there. Everything was just like, well, let's do this. Yeah. Oh, let's check this out. Oh, yeah. Shit. We recorded that record last summer. Let's put that out and see. It's just, you know, covers and crow songs. Yeah. Let's just go out and do this. And and it was more about just a long, a year long celebration with 10 people you know, based on a template of what I had set up in Woodstock, you know, I brought in a couple of singers and I had my band of Mark and Ed. And like, let's go do this and just look at it like a review and let's see what happens. And then that went. And then we started wanting to write new songs and become a band. So I kind of focused at the end of that, you know, we wrote some songs and focused and kind of had a core band, which was six of us, you know. Yeah. And then this is where this is now us stepping into our skin and what this means
2: and you've got another bird name as well where, where does the name come from
3: well the mag yeah the magpie salute i, I always like the word magpie for some reason Yeah, it's, like, a,
2: it's a great name it's actually.
3: an interesting name word you know even just like wow it's cool and i was just researching and i was trying to think of what to call this and i was like i don't know but i felt like magpies are cousins of the crow and <laughs> you know it's kind of like we're a cousin of that band you yeah. know and But magpies have a light and a dark element to them, and crows are all dark. So I thought that was kind of cool to have that balance, you know. And then I found out about the salute, and people salute the magpie to, you know, the magpie salute to ward off a bad day or bad luck. And then what does a salute mean? A salute means we come in peace, which I thought was cool. And the way that you salute a magpie is by saying morning, Captain, which is a Black Crow song. And so I kind of felt like all of these things yeah. kind of were screaming, like, you need to name it this. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's that's where it came from.
2: It's a really cool name. I love it. And so when new, have you got a new album? What's happening with that? When does that come out? Because it's not out yet, is it? You, no, it comes worked? out
3: August 10th.
2: August 10th. Okay. So
3: we made two records. So right. High Water 1 and 2. OK. And so the first record comes out August 10th. But the second record comes out early next year and, and we recorded all of it, but mm-hmm. it was just so much material. We could, we didn't really want to start with a box set, you know, okay. so it was like 28 songs. We were like, oh, maybe we should stagger this a little <laughs> bit. So, yeah.
2: That's fair enough. Yeah. And then are you going to tour the album after that?
3: Yeah, we start actually a month before in the States. Mm-hmm. So we, we go out on tour. July 1st this is our first show in Colorado. Yeah. And then we tour with a band called Government Mule in yep. the States. Yeah. yeah, Yeah them and the Avit Brothers, okay. and it's like a package thing for some shows, and some shows are just Government Mule, and then we're, we're kind of co-bill, co-billing with uh, Blackberry Smoke, and then doing headline shows, and then doing festivals, and then we come over here in August for five shows, okay. just acoustic, cool. and we're playing London at this club called Oslo, but
1: mm.
3: it's sold out already, so um, so then we come back in November... Uh, to do a full European UK tour,
2: great! So we're not going to get rid of you, which is brilliant. Yeah, Exactly.
3: Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. Um, what was it like working with Patty Smith?
3: She's great. You know, Patty. I had some of her band members play with me a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I would do a couple of solo things, and and uh, Tony Shanahan, who's her bass player, and this guy Jack Petroselli, and so they were just really cool. And then I even had some of their tech, like her techs. And our, the Crow's old tour manager looked at, worked at f- and when Patty was there. And so I had all these sort of ancillary people that we had in common. And when I moved to the city, I was living in the West Village, and Patty lives in the West Village. And ev- all, everyone that I knew that knew Patty was like, you need to go say hey to her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm not that kind of person. I don't yeah. go up and say hey, you know. And so we were. I was in this... This restaurant, tiny restaurant in the West Village, right up the street from my place. And I went in there and Patty was there. And I'm like, and she was sitting right by the bathroom. And so I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, I had to go to the bathroom. And I walk and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, like I'm, you know, I didn't want to go by and say anything, but I did. So I came out and I'm like, you know, hey, Patty, how's it going? I know Barry and Tony and she just kind of looked up at me. And, she, and it was funny because she's so observant you know like mm-hmm. when she met me Boy in the Bubble was playing which was that um, Paul Simon song mm. so she just looked up at me and she was really sweet couldn't have been sweeter and that was it I'm like yeah nice to meet you you know she's like yeah nice to meet you too and that was it and then I was walking around the West Village the next day or two days or three days after I can't remember and I get a call on my phone and, and I didn't know who it was and I answer and she goes hey and I'm like, hey, she goes, it's that girl you met in that bar the other night. <laughs> and, she, you know, she's and I was like, she goes, it's Patty. I'm like, oh hey, oh, hey, Patty. You know, she goes, I got your number from Barry. She goes, I didn't know who you were or something. She said I called my son Jackson and said, I met this guy, Rich Robinson. And he goes, Mom, do you know who you were talking to? You know that and he, he loves the crows, So he, he said I was a great guitar player or whatever. So she said, do you want to come play on my record? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great, you know So she was doing a covers record And she, she goes, I don't like Paul Simon I kind of think he's an asshole But when I met you, Boy in the Bubble was playing on the PA You know, in the, in yeah. playing on the music in the restaurant And I figured that was a sign, so maybe you should come play on my record And I was like, okay And then she chose to do an Almond Brothers song, too yeah, Midnight Rambler and she said that she was a writer in the 70s and that she, one of her first interviews was interviewing them, the Allman Brothers, who were playing at Madison Square Garden. And she just thought it would be cool for me to play on it. And I was like, yeah, that's great, you know.
2: That's an amazing story. Yeah. That's a we, really cool story. And
3: it was cool. And then and we just became friends, you know. So I played in New York and she would come sing. And then I had her open for the Crows a couple of times. Mm. And Patty would get on stage and sing and, and, you know, write lyrics just on the spot. And it was amazing, you know, so. What
2: a wonderful story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that stuff. Just how it happens by accident and quite organically.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And she's one of the most open people I've ever met and open to things like that. So it just kind of... And I'm pretty open about that stuff too, so it's kind of cool. Yeah,
2: brilliant. Oh well, Rich, it was lovely chatting to you. Thank thank you. you. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Cool. These are the days.
2: Now, if you love the show, then make sure you subscribe and tell your mates about it as well. And if you have any suggestions on who you think I should get on next time, then please let me know. I want to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter and Instagram at Kylie Olsen.
0: Music and Me is produced by the Podcast Works and Sum Media.